God, we do give you thanks this morning for the opportunity to come and, and gather and meet in this place. It's a reminder uh, to me and to us of your provision for us, um, certainly over the last couple of years, but even for the last 15 years that we've been in existence. Lord, thank you for uh, your kind hand in leading us to this place. We do continue to pray that you would uh, grant to us wisdom. We pray that you would provide uh, for us as we seek to break ground uh, this year. Uh, guide and direct us, Lord. Give us wisdom that we lack. Help us to see what we don't see. Lord, we pray for our ministry partners this morning. We thank you for the good work that you are doing, not only in our backyard, but around the world. Uh, thank you so much for CIN, Children's Impact Network, and the work that they are doing uh, to the orphan uh, in Honduras and in uh, Bolivia and other uh, parts of the world, I think of Chile, their work in Cuba. I give you thanks for them this morning and pray your blessing upon them. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for, for Tom and Uncharted, for the work that they're doing uh, in the Middle East. Uh, thank you for David and Ruth as they prepare uh, to leave this week for, um, for their next adventure for you, Lord. I pray that you'd fill them with your joy, hope, and peace. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for One Seven and for the partnership that we have with them and the work that they are doing in our own backyard in Charlotte among the refugee community. I thank you for the great joy and privilege that we have to partner alongside of them. Lord, thank you for Young Life, uh, for their courage in moving into local schools with the gospel. Uh, Lord, they have been a part of uh, the ministry here at Christ Point uh, since the beginning, and so we give you thanks for them. Uh, Lord, thank you for inviting us to be a part of what you're doing around the world for your namesake. It's a great joy and a privilege, and we give you thanks. Uh, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we jump into our message this morning, I wanted to encourage you uh, to take a moment and pray for you. Uh, God knows you better than I know you, and uh, God knows you better than you know yourself. And so pray and ask the Lord uh, to open your eyes, help you to see and to hear uh, from him what he would have for you today. Uh, one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it invites us uh, to come to the Lord with our requests, things that are as simple as daily bread. Now, you can't get any more basic than that. Uh, and yet we as a people can go before the Lord and ask him for uh, the basic necessities, and he hears and he answers. And so I want to invite you just to take a moment this morning, uh, and you pray for you, and then I'm going to close this up and we'll jump into our text this morning. So please pray with me. Lord, as I stand here this morning, I hear the birds chirping outside, and I am reminded that you care for them. And uh, we are much more valuable than the birds, and so you care for us. And so we give you thanks this morning. I thank you for the spiritual practice of prayer, uh, that we get to be still and quiet and uh, to be heard. We don't surprise you by anything that's on our hearts or on our minds. You, you know it uh, already, and yet you invite us to come before you. And so thank you for giving us the joy and the privilege of doing that because of your son. Lord, thank you for your living and active word. Thank you that you still use it to form and shape your people and to who you have called us to be. Uh, as we open up uh, your word this morning, I pray that by the power of your spirit that you might do a good work in us. I pray that we would leave this place uh, 
and reflect more clearly your son Jesus in the things that we say and do and think. Uh, Lord, thank you for this church family uh, that you call us sons and daughters through the work of your son. Uh, Thank you for the good work that you've done and are doing and will do in the days ahead. Lord, we give you thanks and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 as we continue our series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. This was a message that was preached by Jesus uh, to a crowd that had gathered on a hillside. Uh, If you are new to Christ's point, if you're new to the faith and uh, maybe don't know a ton about Scripture, the Gospel of Matthew is one of four Gospels. Uh, It was written by Matthew, the tax collector. He was one of Jesus' chosen 12 disciples, apostles. Uh, Each gospel account has a particular uh, slant or emphasis on the person and work of Jesus. The gospel of Matthew shows Jesus as the king. And so as we read through the book of Matthew, we see Jesus uh, portrayed as the king. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount is a picture of what does it look like to follow the king Uh, on this earth. As we follow Jesus, uh, Jesus paints a picture of what does that look like. Uh, We are nearing the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. I don't know if you've read the end of the Sermon on the Mount before, but you know, it feels a little bit like Jesus is stepping on our toes. Like admittedly, I have a tendency to be kind of smiley and I like to be encouraged. Sort of that's how I want to end every message. Uh, But Jesus doesn't end his message that way. Instead, Jesus paints a picture of really two ways of life, a a wide road and a narrow road. Uh, Here he talks about uh, individuals who produce fruit and others who are burned in a fire. Uh, At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about a house uh, that's built on something that's sturdy and last the test of time, or a house that's built upon the sand uh, that is simply washed away. Uh, All that to say, uh, these are serious words uh, from Jesus. Uh, He says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Uh, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits." In high school, I attended a conservative Baptist church in Metro Detroit. I didn't exactly know what that meant at the time, but my grandparents attended that conservative Baptist church. My aunt and uncle attended that conservative Baptist church. And so I, too, attended that conservative Baptist church. I was there for a while, and I started to catch wind that there were lots of different kinds of Baptist churches, And so I was kind of interested in understanding more fully what kind of Baptist church we were. And so I set an appointment up with a pastor, and he took me out to breakfast, and his name was 
Pastor John, and I said, Pastor John, I heard uh, that we are a Baptist church because we had Baptist in our name. And he said, yes, that's right. We are a Baptist church. And I said, that's great. I said, what kind of Baptist church are we? Because I hear there's lots of different kinds. And he said, James, we're an independent Baptist church. And I said, well, that's great, Pastor John. I said, what does that mean that we're an independent Baptist church? He said, James, it just means that we dislike all of the other Baptists equally. And I said, fair, fair enough, fair enough. So by golly, I went to the Baptist church. I attended a Baptist uh, college, pretty conservative one uh, at that. And I kind of ran in some of those circles, admittedly, uh, for most of my growing up uh, years, and I sort of felt comfortable in those circles. But I noticed uh, after a while, I, I heard um, folks in those circles talk like they were the only ones in the circle. Like th they, they would say things like, we, we do ministry with like-minded churches. It, it was only a little later that I realized like-minded meant them. They kind of had a mindset that it was us four and no more. Now, listen, I, I'm not saying they're all bad. Uh, if I were taking a theology test, uh, I, I, might, uh, I might lean in that direction. Uh, but, I, but I quickly realized that there was kind of a, a group of people who functioned in such a way where, where they were like, shh. Nobody else knows. I actually pastored at a Baptist church out of seminary. And during my time there, I, I learned many new and exciting things. Uh, there was a nice gentleman in the church who took it upon himself to send letters to everyone in the church about uh, essentially every pastor that you've ever heard of and read and how dangerous they really are. He, he kind of had an us four and no more type mentality. And so I grew up with this sense of like, there's this group of people who think that they have the corner on the truth and nobody else does. That, that's one end of the spectrum. Uh, but as I've lived a little life, I've also noticed that there's another end of the spectrum as well. And the other end of the spectrum is just sort of like, well, we love fill in the name here because he's so, put an adjective in there. And there's really not a whole lot of standing back and thinking, um, is what that person's saying um, actually biblical? Like, did, did Jesus teach that? Or is he teaching that? He's winsome, uh, he's compelling, uh, he has quite a following, and so we just sort of follow along. And there's not a ton of discernment. And there, there's not a lot of, uh, of sitting back and asking difficult questions. So two ends of the spectrum. I, I don't know if, if you fall on either of those ends. I don't know if you fall somewhere in between. But here, in Matthew chapter 7, uh, Jesus is warning us, he's warning you and me, uh, that, that there are folks out there uh, who teach things that quite honestly are not true. And not only are they not true, uh, but they actually are destructive. 
And so Jesus is going uh, to warn us to be on our guard and to spot someone uh, who is what he describes as a false prophet or a false teacher. Uh, We have to be on our guard because we don't always see. In other words, it's not always obvious to us. We hear someone or listen to someone or read someone and we go, sounds pretty good. And and we don't necessarily know the difference. Uh, Don't you wish that people would just announce their intentions on the front end so we don't have to be confused or led astray? Wouldn't it be easier that way? Uh, There's a, a great scene from the movie Monsters, Inc., when one of the monsters who goes out and scares little kids late at night uh, comes back to the home base with a child's sock stuck on his back. Only he doesn't see it and he doesn't know it. And when you go into the real world and you take an article like a pair of socks or a shirt or something that belongs to a child, when you bring it back to home base, it does not end well. And so this monster walks in Uh, to home base, and all of a sudden, uh, the alarms start uh, to go off. It's warning, 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 2319, we have a 2319, red alert, red alert, please remain motionless and prepare for decontamination. At that moment, the CDA, the Child Detected Agency, is called in, and literally hundreds of people descend upon this monster. Right? They remove the sock from his back with a large pair of tweezers. And they put a, a cover on the sock. They screw it into the floor and then they blow it up. Right? They take the screws out and lift the cover up and it's just dust. The sock is completely gone and they begin, uh, begin to sweep up the sock. And the, the monster thinks to himself, oh, whew. That was a close one. And just when he has that thought, they throw up a shower curtain, they shave him, and they shower him. The curtain drops, and he's got the cone of shame on his head, and he's completely shaven. Crisis averted. Wouldn't it be nice if every time a preacher, a pastor, a teacher said something that was just a little off, theologians would swoop down from the sky, take the words out of his mouth, and completely remove him from the planet. But it doesn't work that way. Right? Instead, uh, you and I are told to, to beware, right? to be on our guard, be on our guard uh, of false prophets. False prophets, of course, false teachers, those who teach a message that's contrary to the teaching of Jesus. It's not new. Uh, We we read in the Bible that there were people before Jesus, during Jesus, and after Jesus who were false teachers. Uh, So Jesus warns his followers in the crowds, hey, be on alert, be on guard. Scripture says in Matthew 24, verse 5, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Verse 11 in Matthew uh, reads, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Uh, Jesus warned his followers in the crowds multiple times 
uh, that there are going to be people who come and teach a message that's contrary to the message of Jesus. Uh, Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 29 says, I know that after my departure, uh, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you uh, with tears. Isn't it interesting that Paul said, listen, when I roll out, when I leave, uh, fierce wolves will come in among you. Sometimes when I think of false prophets or false teachers, I think about people living in obscure communities in the mountains somewhere. I think of some small Texas town where a preacher or a pastor or a cult leader is encouraging people uh, to drink the Kool-Aid. That's immediately what I think about. But Paul says, no, among you, like, a, like among you, among us, like people will, will come in and they'll want to teach or preach something that's contrary uh, to God's word. This happened during the time of Jesus and, and it happened after Jesus. It, ha it happens now. And people come and they boldly claim they are someone they are not. In 1964, psychologist Milton uh, Rokic wrote The Three Christ of Ypsilanti. Ips huh, I'm from Michigan. I couldn't even say Ypsilanti. Uh, it's a mouthful. It's a real place. Uh, Ypsilanti, uh, Michigan is outside of Detroit, and uh, his work was actually a case study of three men that he was trying to help. Leon, Joseph, and Clyde all suffered from a Messiah complex. Uh, there were three chronic psychiatric pa patients in a hospital in Ypsilanti, Michigan, all diagnosed with psychotic delusional disorder. Each of these men uh, thought that he was the Messiah. Each of these men uh, thought that he was Jesus. And so this psychologist uh, dreamed up this idea. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have these three men live together and do life together, and let's see what happens. Like, maybe if they do life together, they'll wise up to the fact that all three of them couldn't possibly be Jesus. And so he put their beds very close uh, to one another. He would have group meetings. It was like essentially a 12-step uh, recovery group for these men. They rubbed shoulders together. And uh, what this psychologist found is that oftentimes they had very interesting conversations. Uh, one of the men would claim, I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. I am on a mission. I was sent here to save the earth. Milton would ask, how do you know that? And the man would reply, God told me. And then one of the patients would counter and say, I never told you that. We read about a story like this, and maybe we laugh at the absurdity of it. We're going, come on. I mean, really? Uh, maybe we feel a bit of sadness for, for the men who are delusional in their belief. Or maybe we experience deep sadness for people that chase after folks like this. Uh, but, but they've been around seemingly forever. And folks like this aren't going away. I just 
saw a headline just this past week about a cult leader who's you know, doing some sketchy stuff and drawing in a crowd. Uh, Jesus warns against it, and yet I, I, I don't think that Jesus is only warning us against people that we would see and go, that guy's got issues. I, I think Jesus is also warning us against people who look the part uh, and yet are, are not true to who they say they are. They, they identify as a sheep, but they're actually a wolf. And so he, he warns his followers against them. I, I read this and my question becomes, well, how, if, it's, if it's tricky to notice because people look like something they're not, then how do we spot a false prophet? How do we spot a false prophet in the wild? Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Peter points out in his teaching um, three marks or ways that we can identify a false prophet. The first is to look for destructive teaching. Uh, he, he says destructive heresy. It's preaching or teaching something that's not biblical. It's, it's off course. It's not true uh, to God's word. Paul says, or Peter says, like, look out. Like, take the words that you hear or that you read and hold them up um, to, to God's word and say, do, do these things coincide? Is, is what I'm hearing or, or reading, does it line up with God's word? Uh, one of the ways that we can spot a false prophet is seeing if his message aligns with the message of Jesus. For instance, when we read the Sermon on uh, the Mount, can we look at someone's teaching and go, yeah, I think they're saying the same thing. Like, this is what life with Jesus looks like. When we look to what they preach or teach about the gospel, are they preaching a true gospel? You know, be believing in Jesus by grace through faith. Or are they preaching a, a works-driven gospel or a Jesus-plus gospel? Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, and said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul is essentially saying, like, we, I gave you the true gospel. You heard it and you believed, and I'm surprised that you would turn from it. I'm, su I'm surprised that you would start believing or following or chasing after something that you know uh, is not true. How do you spot a false teacher, a false prophet in the wild? Well, consider his teachings. Uh, what does he preach or teach about the gospel? Secondly, uh, consider what one teaches about the person and work of Jesus. Uh, but false prophets also 
arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them. In other words, people will look at Jesus and claim that he is something that he actually is not. They may look to Jesus and claim that he he was not a man. Or they may look to Jesus and claim that he was not God. They, They may look to Jesus and paint a picture of who they want Jesus to be, but it will be an inaccurate picture. And so if you want to spot a false prophet in the wild, consider what one teaches about the person and the work of Jesus. Last, um, look at that person's life and ask the question, is he driven by sensuality and greed? That's what Peter talks about. He talks about individuals who chase after their sensuality or their desires. Right? They, they essentially want what they want. Or they live life in such a way that they're, they're greedy. They, they just want more and more and more. But it's never enough. Does the individual that you listen to or that you follow, are they driven by the American dream? Or are they driven by a God-centered dream? So Peter points out three things that we uh, can look to to spot a false teacher or prophet. Uh, But do you notice in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus just points out uh, one, like one thing to look to uh, where we can uh, be able to tell if someone is a sheep or a wolf. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Uh, Thus, you will recognize them uh, by their fruits. Jesus said, if you want to be able to identify or point out a false teacher or prophet, uh, simply look to their fruit. In other words, what are, are they producing? Like, what are they producing? In Jesus' day, the buckthorn uh, had little black berries that could be mistaken uh, for grapes. You see a picture of it uh, on the screen. From a distance, you would look at it and you wouldn't necessarily know what it was. From a distance, it looked good, but if you were uh, trying uh, to make a good glass of wine, then you would quickly find out that it was not (laughs) what you thought it was. There was an inconsistency in what it uh, produced. Uh, From a distance, there was a thistle uh, that would produce a flower that oftentimes was mistaken for a fig. Uh, but, But if you went... Uh, to pluck it, to eat it, and to enjoy it, you would quickly find out that it was not uh, what you thought it actually was. Jesus is painting a picture for us and saying, if you want to know uh, someone's true stripes, uh, then simply look to their fruit. Fruit is a metaphor in Scripture, and it's used throughout the Bible. 
Uh, it is used to uh, provide evidence to identify what someone loves or what our hearts truly believe. I think for a moment about Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, uh, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 14, the backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus' teaching is clear. If you want to know if someone's a false teacher or a prophet, um, look to the fruit. Uh, see what they produce, not only in their own lives, but in the lives of uh, their followers. Fruit typically uh, takes a little time to grow. Right? You can't just plant a, an apple tree in the backyard and water it and go out the next day and pick apples from it. it as the kids say, it takes a minute. Right? And oftentimes, it takes time uh, for us to look at someone's life and think to ourselves, like, what are, what are they producing? Now, there's a challenge in that. And the challenge is you could look at anyone's life um, at their very worst and say, that's bad fruit. This is true of all of us. If you were to take our worst moment in life and advertise it for a watching world, uh, we would all look like bad apples on the tree. Right, so what's the difference between someone uh, who produces bad fruit and, and someone whose life we look at and at their worst we go, um, that's not healthy. Well, we see in Scripture what the difference is uh, between someone who's just literally a bad apple and someone who has uh, bad moments bad decisions, uh, is ultimately repentance. So we look all throughout Scripture, the people of God at their worst, we see Aaron and the golden calf, David in Bathsheba, uh, Peter denying Jesus, Peter and Barnabas acting hypocritically. Uh, and yet, when confronted, when challenged, uh, we see repentance in their lives. Scripture says that they bore fruit in keeping with repentance. Uh, when, when someone is confronted about their teaching or their way of life, do they, do they kind of bow out and fight back, or do they bow down and seek forgiveness and repentance? Uh, admittedly, I read this passage, and, <laughs> and I think to myself, okay, there's this warning about false teachers and false prophets. And it's not just here, it's in other places in the Bible. And I, I don't want to necessarily be the guy that, that just says, hey, it's us four and no more. And I, I don't want to function that way. And yet, I want to practice discernment. I don't want to blindly uh, follow someone who's taking me uh, to a place that is not good 
and godly. And so I just ask the question of us, of you, and of me, why, why is Jesus um, ending his message with these warnings? I mean, why doesn't he just kind of gather the crowd together and have everyone put their hand in the center and look everyone in the eye and say, listen, you got it. Like, you can do this. Give everyone a little tap as they leave. I believe in you. Jesus doesn't do that. He gives them a warning. And why? Do you ever wonder why? You know, I, I thought on one hand, I think Jesus gives us a warning in order to prepare us. Because one thing I've noticed uh, in, in the Christian life is when we, when we believe uh, that the Christian life is going to go a certain way because that's what we've been taught and it doesn't go that way, uh, we become distraught. If we believe a picture of the Christian life that looks an awful lot like the American dream, and we think that God primarily wants us to live lives as happy and wealthy and wise folks, when life comes at us, and all of a sudden we find ourselves on a detour, we're going to be thinking back and looking back to that guy that set up a picture of the Christian life that quite honestly was not true and will be distraught. Uh, Jesus warns us to prepare us. Uh, Jesus also warns us because he wants us to, to be wise. He wants us to live discerning lives. Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 13, for such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Listen, you're going to hear things in life that sound good. Like you're going to tune in and you're going to go, yes, yes. It just, it just sounds good. You, you want it to be true. And Paul says, well, like, of course. Of course it's going to look good from the outside looking in. Of course it's going to sound good and appealing. The, the enemy disguises himself as an angel of light. So you're going to hear the message and you're going to go, that's light. And it's not. It's darkness. And so Jesus warns us. He, he prepares us. He says, as, as you live the Christian life, there will be false prophets and false teachers. There'll, <laughs> there'll be people who sound so good and appealing on the outside, but are all messed up on the inside. They look like sheep, but they are wolves. They'll preach a gospel that is contrary uh, to the gospel that Jesus preached. They'll, they'll paint a picture of a Jesus that is not 
accurate or true. Uh, These people will be driven by their own desires and their own greed. And when you look at their fruit, uh, you will see uh, that they are not of the Lord. Uh, Christ's point, I I want us to be a discerning people. I want us to be the kind of people that take what we hear, not just on Sunday morning, here and now, but take what we hear throughout the course of the week with all the information coming at us and pushing pause and going to the Word and saying, "Is, is this true about Jesus? Is this really who Jesus claimed to be? Is this what Jesus teaches about uh, himself? I pray, uh, Christ point, that we would not be a gullible people, but that we would be a discerning people. Uh, may God, by his Spirit, uh, help us to be so. Uh, would you pray with me? Lord, there are are words in Scripture that are are severe. They cause us to stop in our tracks and to give pause and in many uh, cases ask difficult questions. And I want us to be a kind of people who are willing to ask those difficult questions. I don't want us to be foolish in our belief. I don't want us to be naive. I don't want us to be caught off guard. I don't want us to just simply believe the latest and greatest just because it's the latest and greatest. I want you by your spirit to give us discerning ears uh, and hearts and eyes. And so please help us, Lord. It's so easy uh, for us to get off track and to believe about you things that are not true. And so I pray that you would grant to us your wisdom this morning. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. One of the things that I thought this morning as we took time to pray together, um, I, I thought this, <laughs> this is unique. And, and there are, are times even, I don't know if you ever have this experience before, but I, I mean, I get distracted. I'm like squirrel. Right? So there, there's, there's quietness and my mind starts to run. I told the elders this morning as we're praying Uh, Together, when you get to that moment where it feels awkward because it's quiet, wait a little longer. Because we want so desperately sometimes to get out of the awkwardness uh, and not be still. But as I, I sat up front this morning, I just thought, Lord, one of the ways that you change us is through spiritual practices. And this prayer is a spiritual practice. It's a way of us going before the Lord and and sharing what he's placed on our hearts. He's not caught off guard or surprised by anything we share with him. Like he knows, and he's a, he's a good dad, and he welcomes us into his presence. When we come to the word, 
I think to myself, like this, like you, if you are a child of God, you have the spirit of the living God in you. And so you get to take the word, not just on Sunday at 11, but on Monday at 6 a.m. or 10 p.m. and open the word and spend time with the Lord. What a gift that is. I, I pray that we would be a people who chase after and pursue the spiritual practices. And in doing so, God would form and shape us to be uh, people who reflect his son, Jesus. Uh, if you are here this morning and you are new to Christ Point, or even you've been here for a little while, but we've said something that's caused you to go, I've got some questions. Um, I want to invite you to discover Christ Point. Discover Christ Point is an opportunity for us to share a little bit about our story, but also uh, for us to hear a little bit about your story. Uh, we're going to meet over in the chapel. Um, when I dismiss you, I guarantee you it's painless. It's painless. You don't have to sign anything, and we're not going to ask you for anything. Uh, we just want to share a little bit about what God is doing here at Christ Point and get to know you. It's about 45 minutes long. I'm starting to get hungry, and so I'm not going to keep you long. Uh, but I want to let you know that you're invited. And so if you want to join me in just a few moments, uh, head over to the chapel, uh, and we'll spend that time together. The Lord bless you. Uh, we'll see you next week uh, at 1030 a.m. God bless.